0: Amen. May we walk with Jesus, abiding in Him. Last week, we looked at the topic together of the Word of God, looking at our statement of faith, which begins We believe. Today, I'd like to follow up on what we believe, addressing it in this way We live. If we believe, as we do declare in our statement of faith, do we believe? that the bible containing the old and new testaments to be verbally inspired of god and errant in its original languages and that it is the sole authority for personal faith and conduct and i present to you that if we truly believe this about this book that we hold in our hands then we will live it we will live it it will change our lives For even our statement declares that as it concludes, that this is the sole authority for personal faith and conduct. This is our foundation. And so as last week we looked at the doctrine of the Bible and looking to see what the Bible has to say about what this book is, I'd like this morning to go through and talk a little of how the truth of what this book is should change how we live. And I'd like to begin at really the very beginning of what is most important in all of our lives, and it has to do with the gospel, the gospel. Take your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one tells us something special about this book. We looked last week, as our statement of faith has presented to us, First Peter, uh, or 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 21. Now we look at 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 25, and we have again a declaration made about this book that we hold in our hands, and something significant. For it tells us in 2 Peter 1, 21, But the word of the Lord endureth, forever. Now that is yet another declaration of the significance of this book that we hold in our hands. This book endures forever. This book is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Would that make a difference in how we live? Look at how 1 Peter 1 continues. After the declaration that the word of the Lord endureth forever, it says this, and this is the word that Which by the gospel is preached unto you. The gospel is rooted in this book, the Word of God. And we learn from 1 Corinthians 15 Christ died for our sins. For there it says, This is the declaration of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. What does it say? According to the scriptures. We don't just take the gospel and just willy-nilly just declare to people the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That declaration is rooted and grounded in the very word of God that endures forever. It is our authority for all faith. The very core of our faith rooted in the gospel, the reality that Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so we find that the scriptures are the word of the Lord which will endure forever, which we profess and confess to say and we believe that it is all for all faith. Here the foundation of our faith is in the gospel And it is foundationally tied to the scriptures. So the question stands for each one of us in beginning. Do we believe the gospel? Do we believe the word of God and what it has said about what Jesus has done for us? That he has died for our sins, was buried and rose again, according to the scriptures, so that we might have everlasting life, having our sins forgiven and be washed clean and have life. It all sources back to the authority of this precious book that we hold in our hands. But you know the gospel is not just for us. For if we believe this word of the Lord, which will endure forever, and we believe the gospel... It should then flow through us to others. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 has for us a record and a declaration regarding how we can respond to the gospel. And there is a special verse that many of you have learned and have learned from a child regarding salvation. Famous verse, and I'd like to look at that verse, and then look at the verses that follow. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 declares this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That declaration is significant because that declaration is coming from the living, eternal word of God. And it is a promise And it is a declaration that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The verses previous tell us that it's the one who begins by believing in his heart. So it's not just meaningless words that come from a mouth, but from the heart of belief that one calls upon God. The authority of God's word declares and affirms the eternal word of God affirms and declares that one is saved. And when that person is saved, the verses continue are intriguing because it deals with those who are not yet believed and also deals with those who have believed and how they handle this gospel, handle the, word, the gospel, which is, according to Peter, according to um, Paul, the, by which comes from the word of God, the eternal word of God, by which the gospel is preached and declared. And if we look here in verse 14, immediately after this great declaration where it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, there's a question asked. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Yet further evidence that it's not just words that are said, but from the heart is belief. But the question is asked, how does this happen? And there's another question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? These are all very important questions that I present to you as those who believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, that the Bible is the sole authority of all faith and conduct, do we have beautiful feet in going forth and sharing the gospel, which is according to the scriptures, with all those around us and in our lives? For it tells us in this how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How much better things can we have as revealed to us in the word of God of what Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, has done for whosoever will call upon him from a heart of faith. And so I present to you that as we live the doctrine of the word of God, that it begins first with, do you believe the gospel? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ?" believed upon him and called upon him for salvation. And if you have, praise God. And if you have, do you go forth with beautiful feet sharing the gospel with others? For look how this passage continues. It's actually sad. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed. The gospel. Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? I pray that you're not one of those who have not all, but that today you have yourself believed the report of the prophets who were inspired by God to record his word, the everlasting word whereby the gospel is preached unto you. Have you obeyed the gospel? It's a beautiful contrast here in looking at this passage to see the gospel being believed upon and the gospel being obeyed. For it is both an invitation and a command. Have you believed the gospel? And as you, one who I encourage you to believe the gospel, to obey the gospel, and to preach the gospel... And you might be intimidated that you'll have a hard time being able to convince people of the gospel. Well, we've just started a course in apologetics, and in the first lectures we have learned that it's not our job to do the convincing. It's simply our job to be the preachers, and not the preachers of our own opinions and philosophies, but the preachers of the word of God. It is the living word of God that will convince the unbelieving heart. It is the living word of God through the Holy Spirit that will break through the mind and heart of unbelief. And our responsibility is to be faithfully preaching the word of God. And I declare that to you upon the authority of this passage here in Romans chapter 10. Look with me is what it says here. Verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing. Faith in God cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God of God. This is the powerful word of God. This is as Hebrews 4:12 declares to us, the quick, the living word of God. This is what is the power to break through unbelief. This is the power to break through blindness. This is our sole authority for faith and conduct. This the living word of God. And so, as we both believe truths about the Bible, those truths translate into life. And the foundational and most important truth when we might say we believe the Bible, to continue on and say we live the Bible, is to believe the gospel, to obey the gospel, and then to obey the commands of Jesus and to teach all the gospel. And let the Holy Spirit of God do the work of convicting in the lives and hearts of people. So that's one basic thing. One way in which we can live the truth of the word of God is our relationship to Jesus Christ and the truths regarding the gospel. But then it continues on. We not only need to believe the gospel and preach the gospel, this book... Is alive. And this book we need to live in. And this book needs to live in us. Did you know that Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation, revealing of God, is called the Word? He's called the Word. And He commands us in John chapter 15 that we are to abide in Him and He in us. And for many years I struggled. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide in him? He abide in us. Well, it means to live in him and let him live in us. In fact, when we have obeyed the gospel and believed the gospel, Jesus Christ moves in. He takes up residence within us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He is life, and he is the word, and he's closely tied to this book that we hold in our hands. For in that same chapter, in John chapter 15, where we are commanded to abide in Christ and Christ to abide in us, Jesus made this statement that if he abide in me, and then catch the next phrase, and my words abide in you. He goes on to speak of answered prayer. But catch that. He, if you are a Christian, lives inside of you. And thereby he is the living word, so also his inspired word ought also to live in you. Now, what does that look like in our lives? Well, Colossians chapter 1 or chapter 3 and verse 16 declares that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. What's that mean? What's that look like? How can these words live in me? How can these words live in you? Other scriptures speak of eating the word of God. Of course, we don't eat books. So how do we eat the word of God? How do we live the word of God? Well, there's many ways in which this is practically done. But the simplest definition of it is simply the fact that in our minds and our hearts, we are spending time in this word and not as black and white letters on a page, but as the words inspired by the living God who also lives inside of us. To really make this book and the words of this book a high priority in our daily lives. Speaking of the concept of food, throughout Scripture, there are many examples set forth for us and even commands that tell us that this book and the truth and the nourishing and the life that comes from this book is as important, in fact, actually more important than the food that we eat to sustain our body, which is a clue for us. How often do we eat? How often do we drink? Day by day? Multiple times a day? How much time do we spend in this book? And not just then in this book, but then continue in this book when we have perhaps set it down on our nightstand after reading it before going about our day. And going throughout our day, do we go our way and forget what we read? Because abiding in it is not just reading it there first thing in the morning or first thing before you go to sleep or both, but is when you have read it to continue through the day allowing those words to be in your mind. And I tell you that it's because it's living. It won't just stay in your mind, but it will travel to your heart. Will they live in you? So often we have a way of of reading and becoming distracted. I speak for myself. Maybe you don't have that problem. Uh, Especially first thing in the morning where you begin to read and your mind is racing through all of the things that you have to do in that day and you find yourself reading and you might actually be phonetically pronouncing the words in your mind. Maybe I should just be personal about this. I find myself phonetically actually reading the words in my mind and I am thinking about something totally different. In that moment, the words are not abiding in me. And at that point, it's something where I have to consciously step back and say, wait, wait. This is life. This is life. And be looking for what is something here that I can take today and move through our life, through my life in this day that I can be thinking on and dwelling in. As we learned in Bible Hour this morning about Daniel, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He had laid up the words of God in his heart so that as he went into that day and knew he was going to be confronted with things, he was prepared in the life-giving power of the word, I believe. And in not just the word, but he knew his God. As we learned again also this morning in Bible Hour, when the commands were given to the Jewish people in the Old Testament about obeying the law, so oftentimes people think that that was just this this non-impersonal obey the law. Even in the commands to obey the law was given the fact that the people needed to love God and to cleave to him. Because if they did not love God and did not cleave to him, it didn't really matter what the commands were. Their obedience, if they did obey it, would be vain and worthless if it did not come from a heart that was abiding in God, living in God. And so we cannot separate the living word from the living spirit of God because they must work together. And as we continue in the word, then it will give us what we go through life. Let me share with you a dilemma we sometimes have. Sometimes we are reading the scriptures And we as people oftentimes live in dry places. We live in situations where the lusts of the flesh distract us, the pride of life seeks to draw us away, and the struggles of life overwhelm us. And then we open our Bible sometimes and we read and, and we struggle with how do we apply the book of Leviticus how do we apply oh some of those passages in the minor prophets or even the major prophets that we don't understand or cons- comprehend what's going on there let me suggest something to you do not neglect those what we might call obscure passages read them but in those times of dryness don't just follow this bible reading schedule you might have and say well i read my 3 chapters in leviticus today And if in those three chapters there was nothing that you found to motivate you in that day, I encourage you not to not read it, to read it, but to also then go back to some other passages, to jump to the Psalms, to jump to the Proverbs, to also jump to the New Testament. I'll tell you, for me, sometimes I will read in those passages, and I have to be careful because I'm one who is is determined to understand everything. And I, I actually think that's a needful trait for all Christians to seek to study the scriptures. We'll talk about that in a moment here. But um, I, I sometimes want to actually seek to learn and dig into it. But there are still times in which, in which what does this make a difference in my life? And in those cases, I oftentimes jump to the, to the Proverbs to look for wisdom in that day. But there's another place that I love to go in times when I just feel overwhelmed with life. And I encourage each of you that as you're reading through your Bibles that you look for, I call them the nuggets of treasure, that are nuggets for you. And in those times when you are reading and you don't seem to find anything, and it may be because of a lot of different reasons, but where do you go and what do you do? I love to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. In those times, I think of Ephesians chapter 3 where we find recorded a prayer that Paul had for the church at Ephesus and by extension all saints including me and I find a lot of motivation in this prayer and just this is one of them and I present it to you because maybe you're one who hasn't yet found a scripture to jump to when you're in that moment of reading the Old Testament Proverbs or Psalms or even some of the Gospels or epistles and you, you're, you're, you're struggling to find something to carry you in that day. Jump to Ephesians chapter 3 in this prayer, this prayer in, beginning in verse 14, where Paul writes, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this becomes my prayer for both myself, my family, and my church in these days, And height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you, I've spent many times turning to this passage, and the truth is I have not yet come to comprehend the richness of this prayer. I believe that in the ages to come, we will still experience the fulfillment and the richness of this prayer. I want to take time to go through it and just talk through it with you, but I, I, let, me just, let me just give you some highlights that as you may take and adopt this in your own life, that can help you to understand some of what is here. Do you see there in verse 16 about being granted the riches of his glory? Begin to meditate upon your God and how rich and awesome and glorious he is. And as you begin to think more and more of him, those problems in your day you're going to face, well, they become smaller because you see here that as this is granted, it's to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. You meditate upon the glories of God and the riches of God, and you know then that, that He belongs to strengthen you, to strengthen you by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside me. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of me how glorious is that truth? And the passage just keeps going on and on and on with more of glorious truths that can carry you in and through the day. Brothers and sisters, dearly beloved, rejoice in this treasure. Every day, abide in in these words, let these words abide in you. When these words are abiding in your mind and in your heart, as you're going through the day and you find something that is hard, can I actually tell you that there are a lot of things in our lives that are absolutely impossible? Do you know that? Let me give you one that that's many of us face every single day. There is a command, forgive him. I'm going to tell you something. It is absolutely 100% impossible for you to obey that command. And you might be saying, wait a minute, are you heretical? Yes, but no. Because if I left it right there, I'd be heretical. But let me tell you the secret. The only way that you can forgive is for the God with whom nothing is impossible. To fill you with all strength in his love and power to be able to forgive. Because you can't by yourself. You've got to have this. And sometimes we look at life, and we go through life, I'll put it personal, I go through life sometimes trying to do it. And I fail. And the problem is, is that I came into it thinking I could do it. When the truth is I needed to come into it knowing that it is impossible for me to do it. And it is only by the strengthening of the Holy Spirit in my inner man with the riches of his glory flowing through me that I can actually forgive. And all many things are like that, and sometimes we just have to start by saying, it is impossible. But with God, I love this in Matthew, nothing is impossible. And here is why, to just bring you another key piece, you know that phrase where it says, with God nothing is impossible? You know that is tied together together with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This is why, again, it's so serious for people to deny the inerrancy of Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture. Because if the Scripture is wrong about Jesus being conceived of a virgin, then the Scripture is wrong that nothing is impossible with God. And that's a problem which is again the reason why we again affirm that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit and they are inerrant and they are infallible. Because that's how we go through life, knowing and relying upon the authority of this word. Because if this isn't authoritative and this isn't reliable about the virgin birth, then it's not reliable that with God nothing is impossible. And then it doesn't mean so much to be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. It's all tied together. So when we believe these things about the word of God, do we live them? We believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, but then sometimes we're faced with a difficult task. Forgiveness, obedience in this area, victory over a particular temptation. And if we don't really believe what we believe about the Bible, to believe the Bible... It won't give us the strength to gain the victory over whatever that is or to carry us through this is our sole authority for faith and conduct there's so much i want to cover there's one little thing i just have to share with you although we i don't i don't have time to dwell upon it but i'd like to give you some scriptures and that is another aspect of practical application of what we believe of the word of God. We believe that this is the inspired word of God, that it's the sole authority for our faith and conduct. Well, it's inspired by who? By God, specifically God, the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a key piece to the Holy Spirit and this Holy Bible. And that is that the Holy Spirit teaches this book. Do you know that? You might think, oh, well, that's the pastor's job. The pastor does teach. In fact, throughout the epistles, the teaching of God's word is commanded of men to teach the word of God. In fact, and Paul commanded Timothy that he was to take the things that he had learned and he was to teach others so they could teach others. So the teaching of others and the multiplicity of teaching in, to others in this case of generation to generation is clearly taught. But you know those teachers who are teaching faithful men all have to have a very important teacher in their own life his name is the holy spirit now have you ever read a textbook and wished you could go ask the author a question about it (laughs) i have lots of things i've often wanted to have conversations with whoever wrote this i sure would like to talk to him about this because there's some things i'd like to clarify now some of you may not be like that you just gloss over it that's okay but it's not so okay with this book because this book is living. This book is the authority for all faith and practice. But let me let you in on a little secret. It's not really a secret because it's revealed to us in here. The author of this book is still alive. The author of this book, if you are a Christian, lives inside of you. And if you are one who is indwelt by the Spirit of God and you do not quench him, And you walk in him, he will teach you his word. That's the key of when we read in Hebrews 4.12 and other places, all throughout Psalm 119, we read about quicken me, quicken me, quicken me. Well, what's that word? Well, that's an old English word that means to make alive, to make alive, to make alive. How is that done? It's because this book is living in and of itself. And the key to it living is that the author of this book still lives, the Holy Spirit of God, and he can live in you. Jesus gave this as a guaranteed promise that the Holy Spirit would come not only to inspire scripture, but he is the one through whom we can be led in truth. Where is this? Turn with me to 1st, um, I'm sorry. Um, to 1st John 1st John chapter 2 There's a lot to preach in this chapter. 1st John chapter 2 look with me at verse 20. Here's a declaration for you. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. What's that? Means that the Holy One is the Holy Spirit, and he is in you, and he gives you life, and he motivates you, and he anoints you, and he has sealed you, and he teaches you. Further down, we learn, Sorry to skip this here. Write write this passage down and go home and read it. It's so fascinating. But for sake of time here and continuing, if you look down in verse 26 then, it says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are those who will come to seek to lead you astray. False teachers. But the anointing, the Holy Spirit's anointing, which ye have received of him abideth in you. When the false teachers come to lead you astray, don't forget that you have the Holy One abiding in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The Holy Spirit who inspired this book also lives in you, and he is the key to keep you from any who may seek to seduce you or to lead you astray. But let me give you a little clue. Do you know one way he does that? Not some mystical experience, he does that through his word. So if he is abiding in you, remember what Jesus said about I abide in you and my words, or he says, you abide in me and my words abide in you? They work together. They work together. God's word works in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Because I'll warn you, if you're relying on some mystical experiences, to teach you, you're probably going to end up finding yourself face-to-face with a demon who's acting like an angel of light and will seduce you in a very serious way, which is why this is why the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit abides in us and through us. And this, he is our teacher, all coming back to the precious word of God. And so let's not just believe these things about this book that we have. Let us live the things we believe. I'd like to share with you just a few specifics. Most of these come from the, the psalm, Psalm 119. Can can you turn to that psalm with me? Psalm 119. I hope that you're familiar enough with your Bibles that when you hear me say Psalm 119, that you might know that that's the longest book in the Bible, not book, the longest chapter in the Bible. And I hope that you also know that it is a chapter that's all about the Bible. It's all about the Holy Word of God. And just in summary, I'd like to share with you some specific things that you can do as you spend time in God's Word. So this, we believe, is the inspired and errant word of God. We believe this to be the sole authority for faith and practice. So if we believe that, how do we treat this very word of God? Well, if you look with me at Psalm 119, we see some examples from this psalmist, and look with me at verse 16. He sings, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget your word. Here is just one sample. If you continue through this psalm, you will find this singer saying, singing, I delight in your word, dear God. We need to delight in God's word. That is a frame of mind and heart in how we are approaching this book day by day and throughout the day. Is a delight in it. If we just approach it as some duty or checklist, we probably won't have any words abiding in us. It begins by having a delight in the one who gave us this book and letting that delight be in this book. Delight in this book. Read this book. You might think that's obvious. I hope you do. Sometimes people read a lot of books or listen to a lot of sermons about the Bible and neglect the actual reading of this book. It is so important that we read this book. We find that implied all through Psalm 119 and all through Scripture. But there's actually a de- declaration in the book of Revelation that declares that he that readeth and he that heareth the words of this prophecy is blessed. So read it. Read it. And I'll tell you that if you are delighting in it and then you are reading it, you'll get something out of the reading of it. If you're not delighting in it and you're reading it, you won't get anything out of it. What's something else we can do? Well, this might be obvious too, but um, we need to believe it. I hope that's obvious to you. Look with me in verse 66 of Psalm 119. He sings as a prayer to God, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Believe it. And you see here that when you believe it, he is acknowledging and recognizing that that's the foundation to being able to apply it. That is obey it and live it. It begins with believing it. I've had so many experience of occasions of working with people, most especially with unbelievers, but sometimes tragically with believers where there is a question asked about life and you open the scriptures and you share an obvious statement that applies to that particular situation. And they just don't believe it. There's not a lot I can do in that case. The word of God is the authority. It's the sole authority. And I have to simply trust the Holy Spirit to break through the heart of unbelief. So we have a heart of unbelief. Or when we read it, do we believe it? So delight in it. Read it. Believe it. And as is implied here, it goes on to obey it. Look with me at verse 57. Down through verse 60. The prayer, the song, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. That verse is key for all of us because he is saying, I will keep, which means I will obey your words. But do you notice how it began? It began with a relationship. He says, you are my portion. <laughs> That's a... We could preach a whole sermon on that, but the significant basic meaning of it is is that he is your life. He is your everything. He is the fullness of God dwelling within you. He is your portion. And so therefore you can say, I would keep thy words. He continues down through along this theme. I I encourage you to read the whole psalm, but in this point here of obeying it, verses 57 through 60, So we delight in the word of God, beginning first there. We read it, we believe it, we obey it. We need to memorize it. In Psalm 119, over in verse 11, we read, thy word have I hid in mine heart. There is, it is. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. But you notice how that's not just again this declaration about live about um, giving you this word or giving you a task or giving you a job. For what does this accomplish? That I might not sin against thee. I'm convinced that as we learned about Daniel this morning, when he purposed in his heart that he would not devile himself, is because he was one who wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways, it says in the previous verse, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's why I hide his word in mine heart that I might not sin against him. I memorize God's word. All throughout here, we see inferred the need to understand God's word. He cries out for understanding. But in the New Testament, we find the command that we are to study God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, so the chapter just before our key passage about um, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. We have the preface to it in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study, it says. Study, to show thyself approved unto God. Meaning here that your doctrine, your way of life, your application in life is approved by God. And that's done by studying the word of God, that you may, that I may, be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, And we're studying with the purpose not of being able to twist or to twine the scriptures to our own way of doing things, but that it is cut straight. For here it's described that way, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the correct understanding, the correct cutting of it, the straight cutting of it. Are we correct in it in a way that a workman need not be ashamed before our God? So there's a need to study the word of God. So we delight in it. We read it. We believe it. We obey it. We memorize it. We study it. We meditate upon it. Back to Psalm 119. In verse 15, we read, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Well, what is meditate? In a word, it is to think about it. But it's to think about it in a very special way well first that it's god's words to think about it as coming actually from god to think about it that it's coming in for me one way that we can oftentimes think about God's word is by applying it to ourselves let me take a famous verse for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse is so familiar to some of us that it just rattles off our tongue. To meditate upon it is to take the time to think about the very words of it. I hate to give an illustration of it here because I only have just a few more minutes left here, and I don't want you to feel like this is what meditating is. Meditating is that when you've read it, you begin to think about it. Even when you've gone on with your day, you continue to think about it when you're doing the dishes, when you're driving in the car, when you're doing those tasks that allow your mind to think and to wander, does it wander back to the meditation of the scriptures? What does that significant special verse mean? God so loved me to think and to meditate upon the scriptures. Verse 97 of Psalm 119 also declares... Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. If we are delighting in God's word, we will be looking beginning at the day and throughout the day and at the end of the day for truths from this living word that throughout the day the Holy Spirit may use those words to teach us as we meditate upon them. But I'll tell you, it's hard to meditate if you don't love them. And it's hard to love them if you don't love the author. Delight in your God. Know him. Know him through his word and treasure him. And do you know where that continues? In the outflowing of that? There's lots of ways it can outflow. We already talked about one of them, and that is obey. Let me give you another outflow of all of this, and that's in verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Share it. You have this precious treasure, the inspired word of God. Delight in it. Read it. Believe it. Obey it. Memorize it. Study it. Meditate upon it. And share it. This is the word by which the gospel is preached. This is the word by which we have all faith and practice. This is the living word of God. And Jesus says that he abides in us and his words abide in us. That is our life. Man shall not live by bread alone, the scriptures declare, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The world is starving and we have food to feed them. Will we share it and not be ashamed? I think the greatest thing that causes us to be, to not share is fear. Notice here, he is declaring, I will speak of thy testimony also before kings and will not be ashamed. There's a little rabbit trail. Can I go on a little rabbit trail real quick? Some people question whether or not David actually wrote Psalm 119. And some have thought that Jeremiah wrote it. And here's one of the little hints. David was king himself. Why would he be ashamed to speak of things before kings? Well, it could apply to him. But how significantly this applied to the poor Jeremiah, who had the words of the Lord and obviously delighted in them, but yet was hunted and persecuted by the kings. But yet he still was not ashamed to declare to those kings the word of God. So too can we. Will we speak of God's testimonies? The Old Testament, the New Testament, his testimonies. Will we speak of his testimonies even before kings? We need not be ashamed. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Do we believe that? And do we delight in it? Do we read it? Do we believe it? Do we obey it? Do we memorize it? Do we study it? Do we meditate upon it? And do we share it? Let's go forth, not just saying we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and the sole authority for all faith and practice, but let us live it, believe it, and live it for the glory of God. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. This treasure that you have given to us, may we truly delight in it, As we delight in you, our Creator, our God, our Savior, our friend, our teacher, may we know you more and more. May we hope in you and rest in you and trust in you and rejoice in you, for you are good. May we truly believe the Bible not just facts about the Bible, but believe your living word so that we can live your word, that your words may live in us. May we not quench your spirit, who is the life-giving source in our life, but may we trust and rest and walk and live in you. May we, your people, be filled with all the fullness of God that you might glorify yourself through us. We humble ourselves before you, rejoicing in this day, knowing you. We pray these things in your name. Your precious name, Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen.